Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Sally Gentry. And I'm not Joey Boudreaux. Oh! <laughs> hey, I'm happy about that. Is that bad? No. Joey, don't listen. All right, so, but, but who are you? What is uh, happening? I'm Adam Keaton. Adam Keaton. That sounds familiar. Yes. Oh, yeah. He, we work in the same office. I think that you makes a difference. Yeah. So Adam for Lopa is an advanced practice coordinator. That's pretty fancy. Yes, it is. What 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 do you do? What do I do? Yeah. Uh, well, generally, I oversee the medical management of our organ donors. I help with testing and allocation of the potential organs, in addition to interacting with and supporting our donor families. So, just one small part of the team that makes life happen. Nice. So, sounds like today. clinical. I think that's why he's in for Joey today. Mm-hmm. Do we know where Joey? Like, do we have a where GPS is Joey? on? Come back, Joey. We like, don't know. Waldo, where are you? Just disappeared. <laughs> well, Adam, we appreciate you sitting in because um, this is a pretty power-packed episode that we have here on The Gifted Life. Wait until you hear what we have set up for you. Yes. Uh, I'm so excited to be here today as part of this episode because I have so many questions for our guests. This is a story of true selflessness that I'm so excited to hear. And we learned about her story because she called our hotline. Ah, that hotline works. Yes. What's that? What's that number? Oh, the number is 504-648-3477. By memory. I'm glad you you asked. Did you see that, Adam? I saw that. Okay, what's the number, Adam? Wait, he's looking. He's looking. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to repeat it throughout the episode. (laughs) Don't worry. But we want you to use that uh, hotline. We also want you to share what you'll hear here on The Gifted Life. We try to have fun. But what our goal is, is to spur those healthy conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. We are easy to find. We hope. Did you find the podcast? I did. Okay. Uh, numerous places. You can find it on your favorite podcast app, uh, iTunes, Google Play, or you can go to thegiftedlife.org. I like it. And your favorite podcast crew member is? Lori Steele. Oh, uh-huh. I didn't even pay him yet. But uh-huh. yes. well, he brought chocolate, so I like him. Oh, All right, so the- bribery works, doesn't <laughs> Thank it? you, Adam. That that was totally set up. Okay, so listen, a lot of what you hear on the podcast, you'll find on our social media sites. So Facebook, we're Donate Life Louisiana. Twitter and Instagram, we're at Donate Life LA. And my favorite podcast crew member, everybody. That's the right answer, Adam. Everybody's important. First time. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and don't forget, folks, you can call us. Wait, let's let Adam say the number. Do you know it? Of course I know it. All right. 504-648. Three, four, seven, seven. Well, that's pretty doggone good. Adam, I'm pushing for a jingle. Do you think, I mean, because you kind of almost sang it there. Like you you kind (laughs) of had a little, you know, pep in his Well, he might take my job. Mm, We'll see. All right. (laughs) Figure out what the Gifted Life podcast holds for you. But that hotline is for you to call in to share your story so that you can be part of this podcast. We want to know what's happening on your journey, and we want to help other people make life happen. So it starts with you. One person can make a difference. You guys ready to get started on this episode of The Gifted Life? Let's do it. Episode 87. Here we go. Here on The Gifted Life, a special guest joins us now. Her name is Jennifer David. Hey, Jennifer. Hi. Hi. We were sitting here. We're all smiling. 
And I think we're all still in awe. Uh, you want to tell us how we came to um, know about Jennifer Sal? Well, from what I understand is she called in and left us a message on our hotline and was talking about giving the gift. Yeah. And, that, and so we, we yeah. shared that with Adam. And, and what did you say about just the initial hearing of, of Jennifer's story? Selfless? Just that I was so excited. Yeah, because um, this is a, you know, a true act of selflessness, like true altruism, you know, just to, to help somebody for the sake of helping them, some, yeah. a total stranger. Just amazing. So if you're listening, don't you want to know what Jennifer did? Yeah, we <laughs> all want to know. So Jennifer, we, we are sitting here. We're in awe. And we're, we're just so glad that we connected with you. But we got a voicemail. Tell us about the timeline. So um, you called us a couple of weeks ago to let us know that you were thinking about doing something amazing. Yes, yes. I called in because I had been uh, listening to some of your podcasts as I was uh, thinking about becoming a living kidney donor. And I was, I received word from the surgery center. I got my surgery date. And so I wanted to call in and let you know how much your podcast meant to me and how much it helps me to hear from both recipients and people who had been living donors. It really helped me feel a lot more comfortable about my decision. Goodness. So what got you to that decision? Like, how does one say, that's what I want to do? Can you, can you walk us through your thought process? Sure, yeah. yeah a couple, I listen to a lot of podcasts because I do a lot of commuting back and forth for work. And one of the ones I listened to had a story of someone who became an altruistic uh, kidney donor. And I had never heard of that before. I had only heard of, you know, giving to family members or, you know, a paired donation of somebody you knew. And I didn't know it was even possible to just give your kidney to whoever was next to line, whoever needed it. And and then I heard another podcast that was talking about the person that won the economics uh, Nobel Prize who helped develop the system that matches donors and recipients. And it just seemed to keep popping up, you know, in my daily life. And I thought about it more and more. And I uh, searched online for a kidney transplant center. And I found UCLA since I live here in Southern California. And once I completed their online questionnaire, it pretty much it took off from there. I contacted them in January, and then by uh, May 2nd this year is when I had my surgery. Oh, my wow. goodness. Yeah. So you went through with it. You, you started researching. My goodness. So tell us a, a little bit about you, because I'm thinking I'm a working mom, I'm so busy, that you had time and the want and the heart to do that. that that's just amazing. So tell us about you. Yeah, I'm, I'm 46. I'm married. I don't have any kids. I have plenty of little fur babies at home. <laughs> I understand but, that. Um, yeah, and I, I work for a healthcare organization. You know, I'm familiar with, you know, I used to be a, a clerk in the OR, so I'm familiar, you know, used to work close with nurses and surgeons. And, and so the whole prospect of surgery really didn't scare me because I kind of, you know, know what goes on in the background. So I think that helps a lot, too. And then working in healthcare, you know, you hear, I don't work directly with patients, but I also, I hear lots of stories of, you know, people with kidney disease and people on dialysis and just knowing that I could help somebody out really helped motivate me too. Wow. What a great feeling to, to say, I gave the gift of life to someone. You are really just a wonderful individual. I love also that, that you had experience in healthcare mm -hmm. and worked in a surgery environment, knowing everything you know. And you're still excited and about making this decision. So 
says, uh, I think, a lot about the healthcare system and, and your experience with it also. I'm going to go on a different route, Jennifer. So you brought this topic up to your husband, and he said, what? Or what? Well, <laughs> t- tell me about <laughs> that. Much, I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he was surprised, of course, as I think anybody would be if somebody told you that. <laughs> and and um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's been almost a two-year process between the first time I heard the first story about it and, you know, kind of being on and off thinking about it. And so he's had some time to get used to it. But of course, you know, as things really picked up this year, once I contacted UCLA, yeah, he was he was supportive. You know, of course, if it was his choice, I think he would. You know, you're always worried when somebody goes in for a surgical Surgery, procedure. Yeah, but but he was also you know proud of me and very supportive. So he That's he helped great. take care of me, took care of me after the surgery. So it all went well. Oh, now are you touched by donation in any way, shape, or form? Or no, I'm not. No, I'm right. fortunate enough that you know I haven't known anybody who's needed an organ transplant. Yeah, yeah. and the, and so the person you saved, do we? Do we know now since we just had the surgery? No, I don't actually. It was it was a non directed donation, so I just you know, yeah. gave it up to you know whoever matched who needed wow. it. Wow! And all I knew is that it went to Florida, and um, the recipient, of course, has the option of of contacting me. I wrote a letter to them that was passed along through the the transplant center. Mm-hmm. But of course, because of you know, patient privacy, you know, that's mm-hmm. all I can know is where the kidney went. So they have the option of contacting me. I gave them my email address, and I hope to hear from them. But of course, it's their option. If they don't want to, I may never know. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a, another podcast episode. You're going to have to keep us right. in the loop, Miss Jen. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I'm, def- I'm definitely checking my email. I hope to hear from them. Yeah, we. We certainly hope you hear from them as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about just the medical workup that you had to go through uh, in preparation for this? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, after it was over, I talked to the social worker, and she said it may be as low as, you know, 15 20% of the people who come in looking to donate actually make it through all the medical clearance. And right. It is very, very thorough. So, yeah, I had to go down for two days, and because I live about 90 miles away from UCLA, they uh, offered to put me up in a hotel overnight so I wouldn't have to drive back and forth. Wow. But I did have to do a uh, 24-hour urine collection. I had a chest x-ray, a CT scan. I had a blood draw, and I couldn't believe it when the, the phlebotomist kept pulling out vials. There were 25 vials by the end of it. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's a bunch. <laughs> And I had to had to talk to a social worker, you know, to make sure I had the resources to take the time off work and, you know, support at home. Right. You mentioned that only 15 to 20 percent of the people that just highlights, you know, the need for kidney donation or organ donation in general. So uh, as far as the waiting list, so this uh, I actually looked up this data this morning. So this is current. There are 114,000 people on the national waiting list for an organ. And 95,000 of that 114 are waiting on a kidney. Wow, yeah. And then the average wait time for a kidney is, I think, somewhere between three to five years because kidneys are based on primarily wait time. Mm-hmm. So how long you've been wow. listed mm-hmm. by, you know, far and away, the, the urgent need for organs uh, in America are, you know, kidneys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is why living donation has become so popular and taken such precedence. I could see um, why. That's a long yeah. wait. Yeah. And also there, I believe they're able to find better matches. With kidneys, they're so specific when it comes to matching. 
So you have patients that are sensitized or highly sensitized. So there are very few donors out there for mm. certain people. Hmm. So that's a, a, a big issue in kidney donation. And with a living donor, they have time to test that and match it to the best possible recipient. So that organ gets the best longevity and helps, you know, the most. Wow. I can't wait to hear the other side of your story, Jennifer. I'm hoping that um, if you do hear back that, that we get to share that with you. But um, talk to me about emotions and what you were thinking. So you had to answer the questions, then you had to do the um, blood work and doctor's visits and then coordinating with work. So were you just, yes, this is the right thing to do at each step? Like, was there ever a hesitation or was, was this like, I'm, I'm all in? Yeah, there was, there was a lot of thinking because, of course, you don't want to do anything that's going to compromise your own health, you know, in the long term. And so I did a lot of research. I did a lot of, you know, watching videos online of, of people who had gone through the living donor process and doing a lot of reading on um, just what the long-term effects might be. And from what I read, overall, there there aren't a lot of uh, long-term known, you know, medical problems that living donors have. And because of the screening, you know, they're often in the best of health going in. So you have that going for you also. And really, the only lifestyle change I've had to make is I just can't take ibuprofen anymore. You know, I have to switch it out for uh, Tylenol. And but other than that, you know, I'm completely back to my regular life and driving, and I'm at work, and, and I feel great. That's amazing. I wish, you know, yeah. After the only a month. problem is I wish, yeah, I wish I could do it again. But that's the only problem. You can only do it once. <laughs> oh my goodness! And so um, you wow. talked about work. Um, how easy or how hard was that to coordinate? And then talk about that that timeline. So how long did you stay in the hospital? When did you go home? And then when did you like resume to normal Jennifer life? Yeah. Yeah. I think I got about three weeks notice because they had to present my case. They have a transplant committee at the hospital. So once everything was cleared, I think I got about three weeks notice for my surgery date. And I had been keeping my manager informed all along that, you know, I was thinking about doing it and I had to take the time off for all the testing and everything, too. They were excited about it and I didn't have any issue at all with time off taking a medical leave. I was wondering, just just for my personal knowledge as well as our listeners, but the, the actual surgical procedure. So was this like just a laparoscopic procedure? Uh, how long did it take? You know, how long until you were up and walking again? Yeah, it was laparoscopic, which also okay. was a big help in going into it, knowing that, you know, the recovery time would be a lot shorter. There's always, you know, the chance they might have to do an open incision, right. but, but mine was a laparoscopic. So I have um, three little incisions along my left side on the front, and then maybe about a four inch incision around the bikini line where they take the kidney out. And I went in on uh, May 2nd and my surgery was in the afternoon so that they could fly the kidney to Florida overnight and the recipient had their surgery the following morning. So I was awake probably, I think it was around 6 p.m. I think the procedure is around three or four hours. Wow. I just stayed overnight in the hospital and was discharged the next day. The next day? Whoa. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's so, amazing. Yeah, so by the next morning, yeah, they had me up walking around very, very slowly. But I was up the next day and... And, yeah. So how did you feel? Like you, you woke up, you know, you did this great thing that somebody has a second chance because of, of this act um, that you took. So then, like, tell me your emotions. Tell me what was going through your mind. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was very emotional. And, you know, I was um, mostly grateful that I was able to do it. We're grateful for you. Yeah. 
I'm sure a lot of people that would listen would have questions about is financial implications. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about um, any costs that were incurred or lack of costs or kind of how that worked in your understanding? Oh, sure. Yeah, 100% of all of the medical care was covered through the recipient's insurance. So all of the the pre-screening, all the testing, all the x-rays, all the hospital stays, surgery, there was not a a single penny I had to pay for any of that. Wow. I guess there'll be some follow-up included as well? Yes. Yeah, I have to go back in uh, six months and they're going to do screening to make sure that my remaining kidney is functioning fine and picking up the slack and I believe I go back on a one-year and two-year anniversary to the place where I had my surgery. And then other than that, I would just follow up with my regular doctor. And so, Jennifer, it sounds like from what everything you're saying that if you could, you would do this again. Yeah, yeah, I definitely would. And I know there's also a living donor option for livers and you know, that may be something I look into in the future. Oh, my goodness. Well, I feel like you could do partial. I'm not doing yeah. anything over here in Louisiana, girl. <laughs> my goodness. You are so kind. So um, so we asked about your husband. What about like your circle of friends? We, we heard about um, work and they were supportive. But um, mm-hmm. did anybody say why? Anybody yeah. question? Yeah, push back? Not really. No, they're they're just mostly shocked, I think. (laughs) You know, why would you put yourself through a procedure that, you know, doesn't benefit you in any way? But Oh, but it does. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, that's part they don't understand, I don't think, entirely. But, wow, yeah, it does. So I work with um, volunteers in the community, so donor family members who come and tell their loved one's story, recipients, those waiting. So um, is that something um, that is on the horizon for you. You go and you, and you tell your story um, with the organ yeah. procurement agency near you? or Yeah, I would definitely like to do that. I've been in contact with UCLA, and I let them know that, you know, if they have anybody who's considering being a living donor and would like to speak to somebody who's gone through it, you know, I'm, I'm always open to doing that. And they had a, an education class that I had to go through as part of the process where they got a bunch of potential donors together. And, you know, if I could speak to them in that kind of environment or, you know, anything at all, I would really love to help and give back and raise awareness. Yeah. Well, we're in the in the donation world. So if there's anything in the media or trending on social media, like I always stop and, and watch it. So before the procedure, was that something with you? Like when you started researching and things, like would you watch anything and everything like donation related? I did. Yeah. And they actually gave me um, a website called thechain.org. Mm-hmm. And that is, it's about a 30-minute documentary, and it actually was based on an altruistic donor. And uh, the chain of donations that started from that donor were three other people got kidney transplants as a result of the one donor starting the chain. And and so I, I believe that something similar to that happened in my case. I haven't gotten any details on that, but if somebody needs a kidney and has a a family member that would like to donate, but they're not a match. If you can get somebody to start a chain by donating to that first person, Mm -hmm. then then their family member continues to donate, but their kidney, instead of going to their family member, goes on to somebody else. And maybe that person also has somebody who would like to donate, but isn't a match, and it just keeps going on. So you can help multiple people just by one donation. Amazing. Exactly. I was I was doing some research uh, on living donation and came across a website operated by UNOS, which is United Network for Organ Sharing. 
and at transplantliving.org, and I saw that they have a whole section on uh, learning about living donation, how to start the process, the steps involved, you know, how to contact your local uh, transplant centers uh, to see if they have a living donor program or a you know paired uh, kidney exchange program, like you talked about. Um, so just for anybody listening, I just wanted to highlight that. Transplantliving.org is what you said. Yes, yeah. transplantliving.org. Um, you know, when we talk about uh, kidney donation and kidney transplant, uh, people are familiar with dialysis with kidney uh-huh. failure. So they think that, um, well, if you go into kidney failure, then you can get on dialysis and, you know, it's no problem and you can live without a kidney. When in fact, the mortality rate on dialysis is much Way higher than you there. would uh-huh. you know, expect. And I, I can't just throw out a number out of my head, but the life expectancy on dialysis is pretty it's pretty short. So kidney transplantation, you know, for those patients on dialysis is, you know, the end goal of treatment in Mm. most cases. Dialysis just provides a bridge for those patients who wish to be transplanted. Mm -hmm. Dialysis is a a tough road. It's a tough life to go in there three Mm -hmm. times a week um, for hours, you know, out of your Mm -hmm. day. It it disrupts your life unbelievably. I just wanted to, to make a mention about that, just to do a little education on um, on the true need, you know, mm-hmm. for, for kidneys in this country. All right. So, Jennifer, any um, advice? I mean, you just walked through it. You just went through all the steps. So any advice, like somebody's listening out there just like you were. Um, we love that you use the Gifted Life as a resource as well when you were researching. What would you tell someone who's thinking about doing what you did? Well, I would say, you know, it's not for, you know, everyone, depending on your, you know, your resources or your, your physical condition. But even if you can just do more than you're doing today, I think I, I helped inspire my husband. He's looking into uh, being a, even just being a blood donor. What? So I'd, been, I'd been on him forever. He loves to go, you, girl. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think I might have put him to shame a little bit. So now he's... <laughs> So now he's finally, you know, made an appointment to go even just donate blood. You know, wow. something as simple as that can really help somebody. And yeah. and for me, you know, the recovery period, maybe the first seven or eight days, you know, was really tender in my abdomen, of course. And, but after that, you know, after about two weeks, I would say I was, you know, almost back to normal, just up and around and walking. And it to me, it was, a, you know, a small price to pay to help somebody else regain their health for many, many years. Wow. So- such a positive message that even if, if you can't do something as big as what you did, just to encourage others to, to get up and do something, mm-hmm. you know, to help someone. Yeah, you, you live what we say here on The Gifted Life. One person can make a difference. You're doing that. Go out and do something you don't normally do. Well, Jennifer, you did it. You're a walking <laughs> yeah. testimonial. And we hope to visit with you more um, in the future as your story continues to unfold. How incredible. And we hope that this starts a, a, maybe a chain reaction. Um, for making life happen. An incredible story. Yeah. We appreciate you. Thanks Thank so you much. so much for sharing. Thank you. Yeah, and I'll definitely keep you updated if I hear more. The time has come in the Gifted Life podcast to visit with Sal. Adam. Our mental health guru here, Sally, teaches us. So we live and we learn. What are we talking about today? We 
going to talk about self-fulfilling prophecies. Oh, Adam. What do you think out. about that, Adam? He's looking I at think you. I'm a victim of that, probably. <laughs> there you go. I think, I think we all are. Mm. You know, the things that we tell ourselves is generally not what we would really like to tell ourselves, mm-hmm. but it's what everybody else is saying about it because we listen to that outside influence and then generally we take it on as our own and the next thing you know we're telling ourselves we're not worthy of something or we're fitting some sort of stereotype or we're angry with ourselves and we never stop to say women well, mm-hmm. what am I doing to me mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. now because I'm listening to what you're saying about me, Lori, and that's really all good, Sal. All oh, good on this. Well, hey, well then, then I'm okay. Adam, yet. we got a problem with. Oh, <laughs> so we got a, I oh, think, I see. I think that's uh, we crave a, approval. Yeah, just mm-hmm. because we're social creatures, you know. So yeah. we listen to those outside influences yeah. and those opinions of ourselves, and we take them on. That's right. As our own view of ourselves. That's right. I could be trucking along, having a great day, until I come across somebody who. Maybe he's not a Lori fan. And then it ruins the rest of my hour. Yeah. You, <laughs> there are those out I there? To, I try to turn it. No, I don't know, Adam. Well, you put a lot of emphasis on what others think. Yeah. When in the real, real world, it should be, what do I think about me? Mm-hmm. And again, that, that takes some, some practice to do that. You know, one of the things we talked here a little bit earlier was, when I get up in the morning, I look in the mirror, and I... Sure, I can see everything that I think I would like to change, but at the same time, I have learned over the years that I always give myself a smile and say, it's all going to be good. And you know, when you start your day out that way, no Mm -hmm. matter how down it can go from there, you've still given yourself that extra lift. Yeah. And you fooled your brain into thinking, oh, well, everything is good. Yeah. And when you start doing that on a regular basis, and I'm not talking about being narcissistic or or vain, I'm talking about just being realistic with yourself. Then when people say things that are somewhat hurtful or you hear them talking about you behind your back, you just kind you say, oh, well, that's their opinion. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And that's what counts. Gives you a little reserve. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It kind of spurs me to go out and do more. Like, yeah, I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah, I think that's a great days. Yeah. Uh, yeah. discipline to have, to be able to get up and do something like that for yourself every day, even if it's just to get up and uh, complete a task. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, right. A lot of people, I've, I've read people who say, one thing I make sure is I get up and I make my bed every morning, mm-hmm. and that starts my day. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. gives them a mm-hmm. task and a feeling of accomplishment. Yes, absolutely. And then that just, they just build on that throughout the day. I that's think that's right. a great strategy. We have a crazy household, lots of kids, different destinations. we got to pick up different bags. And so uh, we always pause as we're driving. We have a long driveway. And so we always list the things that we're grateful for. So the teachers in our lives, the friends in our lives, um, our home, um, mm-hmm. our family, because uh, no matter what happens out there today, we're all going to be here together in this safe space. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's love and laughter and fun there. What a great uh, message for your kids. So, kind of, but kind of like you in the mirror, like that's how we start the day and hopefully it'll be a good day. Yeah. yeah. And you know, speaking about a mirror, I, I will bring this in one day. It's, it's a poem about the man in I the mirror. I thought a mirror, you were going to bring the mirror. Okay. <laughs> oh no, I got one right here. Here, take a look. Oh, yeah. See, Whoa, there you go. <laughs> These puffy eyes. Okay. <laughs> But it's a great poem talking about the man in the mirror. Yeah. I mean, it's all about, it comes back to, in the very end, it's all about you, really. Uh, it's not about all these other people yeah. and their opinions. It's all about how am I okay with me. So. Oh.
Um, you learned a little bit about Adam there. You gonna tell me about him later? Well, I, I think he's probably pretty doggone good at what he's doing. Yeah. Oh, well, obviously. So that's why he's here, right? So your favorite? Well, yes, that <laughs> is why your your favorite <laughs> podcast person now would probably be. Well, you know, it's there's a really tight race, and uh, it's between a lady named Sally. Oh, she made and another list. name Lori. He likes this. He really likes this. Well, he does. <laughs> I think so. That's how we're going to start the day. All right. We like that. All right, Sally. That was fun. We're going to do more of these on each episode of The Gifted Life. Um, we live, we learn, and Sally helps guide us. So more to come here on The Gifted Life. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero, Dion Pennywell. And we hear from Dion's family. There aren't enough words to describe Dion or how much he was loved and is missed. From his smile to his laughter, I know there are more than a few who wish they can experience it again. In his death, three lives were saved. It is our prayer that the recipients of his organs are afforded the opportunity to live with a newfound appreciation of just how precious life is. You live on in our hearts. Rest in love, Dion. And now... We pause and say thank you to Dion for the gift of life. In our question and answer segment, this question actually comes to us via a community event that we had in Louisiana. It was a discussion about the donation process and a family mentioned feeling rushed at the time of donation. So we thought it was a great opportunity to learn here on the podcast and to bring that question here um, where we have a mental health professional, where we have someone clinical who's been at the bedside, who's been through the process. So maybe um, we could all learn a little bit about what that is. So this was a community event. It was a church event. Um, We want people to have healthy conversations, and that's the issue that was brought up. So at the time of donation, they felt that that was rushed. So if you can kind of walk us through, you deal with the donor family, Sally, from that mm-hmm. perspective of, of what they're going through. And then Adam, as far as um, clinical, what's happening from a medical standpoint in order to make life happen. I think part of the problem is this, that at a time of an unexpected death, people are put into such chaos during a crisis situation that their mind can only process just so much information. And, and usually when it's unexpected like this, no one knows what to do. I mean, their mind is going all sorts of different places, so they cannot process on that one particular issue of of talking with you all. Exactly. And in the case of organ donation, these unfortunate deaths are all sudden. You know, that's how you are eligible to become an organ donor Mm -hmm. in almost all cases, is that you had a sudden neurologic injury, a brain injury, Uh, that led to your death. So all these events are sudden, they're tragic. When a patient has been declared brain dead, and so they are at that point deceased, there's a narrow window to complete that consent process. And it's really important that we go through that and that the family is informed and that there's a full informed consent done. So they know what they're saying yes to. Um, And then also there's a a, a very thorough questionnaire that has to be done with the family involving the medical history and social history. So those are all things that we have to complete with 
a detailed accuracy before we move forward with the, the process. And in these patients, the organs are viable for only so long. And the family of the person has just received the worst news that a loved one can receive, you know, that mm-hmm. you've lost a loved one. So they are in a fog of a sort. And it's hard for them to process all this information that they're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that uh, I saw in caring for critically ill patients in the hospital before I was involved with organ donation. Um, when the physician goes out to speak with a family, people only take away so much because they're dealing with so much in this time. Well, and their brain basically just shuts down everything except for what, what's going on right here and now. Right. And the families that, that come to me, they're, they're ready to volunteer. And so one of the things that I hear across the board is that that time went so fast. And I don't remember a face. and I don't remember a name. I don't remember exactly what came out of their mouths. Mm-hmm. I just remember I felt comfort. Um, I knew donation was a good thing if we had that conversation. I know, Adam, that's something that you push as well. Make sure that you talk to your loved ones about that. Um, when we were having this community discussion about the donation process, another thing that came up was um, your perspective at that time. So the loved one has passed away, going to be an organ donor. Are you the next of kin or are you a friend of a friend sitting in the waiting room or at home waiting for news? Mm-hmm. Um, that changed how they felt about donation as well from their seat. Yeah, um, that's right. That happened. Yeah. That perception of time. So the thing I'm taking away is having those conversations with your family of the utmost importance. Ahead of time. Ahead yes. of time, yeah, so that they know your wishes. Yes. That's one thing that I found uh, working at the bedside with mm-hmm. patients and families um, is that so often the family just isn't 100% sure what the patient would want. And it's a huge stress mm-hmm. on them at an already stressful mm-hmm. time. Uh, for them to have to question themselves, is this the right decision? Is this what my loved one would want? So just having those conversations ahead of time is something that I stress when I'm out in the community talking to people. Mm-hmm. Um, have those conversations ahead of time. It doesn't have to be a lengthy conversation. Mm-hmm. Let them know what you want and also find out what they would want. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, God forbid, that time ever comes in your life, you know, that there's not that stress isn't isn't there. Yeah. We have a volunteer. She said, I had a 10 second conversation because I screenshotted it, called from the OMV. And my daughter said, what's an organ donor? We had a 10 second conversation, but I knew what she wanted. And that gives me comfort and peace. Doesn't take a long time, but it's important to have those conversations. So um, that was a great discussion, guys. Maybe you have a topic you'd like us to cover. Info at lopa.org. And that'll do it, folks, for this episode of The Gifted Life. We want to thank you so much to Jennifer for sharing her story with us. Amazing. Such an inspiration to hear about her journey. That's yeah, right. She makes me want to go out and do something, right? Absolutely. I hear that on the podcast sometimes from time to time, right? Go out and do something. Get up, get out, mm-hmm. go yeah, do something. Yeah, yeah, That's right. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 And I want to remind everyone out there that you are really worthy. Please keep that in mind. Nice. Especially you, Adam. Thank you. thank you for being here with us yes, on The Gifted Life. Thank you for having me. didn't scare me. you too much, right? Not too bad. Yeah, Adam does a great job um, in Louisiana helping our, our donor families and, and working with us out in the community to educate. And his big thing, his big takeaway is have that conversation. Have the family. conversation. Yeah. yeah. And you know how he just, he just rolled with everything. Yeah. Really, Joey's going to have to watch out. <laughs> watch out, Joey. Yeah. So now she's your favorite, right? Oh, 
I yeah. knew it was going to happen by the go. end of the episode. He just edged you out there. Oh, uh, all right. Thank you to Adam Keaton. I'll get back on top. I love it. All right. So go out and do something today that you don't normally do to help us make life happen. We know you can do it and we appreciate you. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Sally Gentry. Our producers are Kirsten Hines and Shalon Caraway. We are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Metairie, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez.